0: We hear the words of this song of invitation to to come, to worship you, to sing to you. We hear the invitation, and now we're in a spot that we have to decide if we will receive the invitation, if we will actually choose not to just bring our, our bodies into this place, but to bring the wholeness of us into this place. And for us, many times, the thing that keeps us from bringing ourselves wholeheartedly into your presence is the thing that we're holding in our hands that is distracting us or distressing us, the thing that is causing us maybe a deep pain, uh, a brokenness of relationship, a disappointment something that that we just can't seem to simply put aside and say, I'm going to worship God right now. In fact, we come into your presence and it's like we're all that much more aware of it it and it blocks us from coming wholeheartedly to you. And so this morning, God, whatever that is in our hands, as we walk into this place, we realize the only way we can enter completely is to hand it to you. To turn it over to you and say, I can't do anything about this anyway. <laughs> it is out of my control. I'm releasing control. I'm releasing this. I'm, I'm turning it over to you. And so this morning, as you are called to worship, might you literally consider what it is you brought in here today that you need to hand to God. Go ahead, do it. Do it. Now we can worship. In the name of Jesus, we pray now and always. Amen. Have a seat. Well, it is really good to see you today, loving the the fact that that calendar of winter is slowly but surely running down. February is just one more week, one more week, and we get that month that they say comes in like a lion and out like a lamb, two more weeks, and they... Turn the clock and we get a little bit more light at night and a long winter is done. It's hard to say a long cold winter. We've had some nice times in there, but but the length of it, the dreariness, the darkness of it is turning away and we can finally just enjoy the spring that is coming toward us. It was fun watching you walk up to church this morning and, and kind of squinting as the sun was coming into your eyes. And, and it's funny how after a long winter, we don't mind that. It's nice to finally see that orb that's been hiding behind the clouds for so many months. So, great to be here with you today, and, and we, are, we are about to enter into uh, the journey of Lent, and we're going to be setting that up some today with the, with the series that, that we will be partaking in as we, as we turn our minds and hearts toward uh, a season that, that reflects the time Jesus spent in the wilderness, ultimately culminating in his death, burial, and resurrection, To do that, we're going to be turning today to the book of Genesis and looking specifically at chapters 2 and 3, mostly at 3. And in order to do that, I want, I want to set you up with a, with a video that I received literally this week. I love the people at the Bible Project. They put together very thought-provoking teachings uh, in ways that, I got to be honest, I've just not thought about it that way before. And so uh, this, this teaching is about the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil that were found in the Garden of Eden. So go ahead and, and watch and listen to this teaching, and, and then we'll take that into our time of communion. The story
1: of the Bible begins in a garden, where God and humans live together. And the biblical authors want us to see this garden as a type of temple. The top is the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence is most intense. And that's where we find the tree of life. So, what's this tree all about? Well, it represents God's own life and creative power that is made available to others. In fact, God's first command is that humans eat from all of the trees, including this one. So you're ingesting God's own life. That sounds intense. Yeah, this meal transforms the one who eats it. Or in the words of the story, it leads to eternal life. Okay, but on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And God says that eating from this tree will kill you. How does it do that? Well, it represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. and When humans do that, it leads to broken relationships, violence, and death. And so here's the thing. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And the humans take from this false tree of life. And they're exiled from the garden for good. Which raises the question, can anyone ever get back to the tree of life? Well, later on in the story, we meet a man named Moses and he encounters God in a desert tree on top of a mountain. Oh, you mean the burning bush where Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground. Yeah, it's a plant on a mountain radiating with God's life and power just like the tree of life. And God tells Moses, bring your people up to this mountain so we can form a partnership. And this partnership will force them to make a choice. Will they follow gods of their own making or receive life from the true God? And in this story, they give their allegiance to an idol. And it's just the first of many. The story goes on to show generation after generation choosing gods of their own making. And these idols were usually placed on tall hills like beautiful trees. But they're false trees of life that lead the people into self-destruction, exile, and death. It's like death's grip on us is too strong to resist. Is there any hope? Well, let's turn now to the story of Jesus. He came to announce that God's eternal life was available once again through him. So Jesus thinks of himself as the tree of life. Yes, this is what he meant when he claimed to be the vine that brings God's life into the world. And Jesus invited people to eat from him. Yeah, he was inviting people to trust him and be transformed by his life. But Jesus also exposed how corrupt humans are, how much they love false trees of life. And so Jesus presented people with a new choice between life or death. And this time they don't just choose death, they also chose to attack the one who sustains all of life. Yes, Jesus is led up to the top of a hill where he dies upon a tree. The cross is the sad and violent result of humanity's desire to do what is good, in our own eyes. The tree of life has been overcome by the power of death. Well, it seemed that way. But Jesus said that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground, but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. So to defeat death, Jesus went through it. And now this new tree of life stands before us all. We can eat from it, but it will mean passing through death like Jesus, allowing our old way of being human to die. So that a new humanity can grow in its place. Yes, Jesus said he is the vine and we are his branches. So not only do you eat from this tree, you are invited to become a part of it, helping produce its fruit so that his life and love can spread through us to others. And so the story of the Bible ends in a new garden which is also a kind of temple, with the tree of life at its center, providing healing and life forever to all who choose to eat from it. It's
0: pretty thought-provoking and challenging teaching. You may want to watch it a couple more times to really kind of uh, grasp it. If you got the links today, the first link gives you uh, it takes you on over to the U uh, version site that we use, and, and you'll find a link there to the video, and we'll also send it out to you in an email this week. But thinking through that concept of the tree of life there in the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in a sense, those two trees are always being offered to us. We're always being offered: Will you receive the life that God wants to give you? Will you? Will you choose? Uh, to go ahead and partake of him, or will you come up with self-willed, self-styled ways of saying, no, I'd prefer choosing of the tree of my choice, and I'm going to go ahead and impose my will, and I'm going to do what I want instead of doing what God wants. We just, we're constantly placed in this position in life of, are we going to choose life or are we going to choose death? Are we going to choose truth or are we going to choose falsehood? What is our choice going to be? And what we find is that when we choose the tree of life, when we choose God, we find the joy and fulfillment and the peace and all those things God has promised. And when we choose the other tree, we keep saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's still not there. It's still not right. God wants us to make the right choice we'll be looking at that more in a few moments as we as we turn to our study today in the book of Genesis but but before we do we're going to move to communion we're going to take the time to go to the tables in the back or front the stations here on the side stage that are that are gluten-free and to be reminded that that God is the true source of life it was through the death burial and resurrection of Jesus that we have the ability just like him to pass through death to new life instead of eternal separation from god so i'd love for you for a moment as we take a time to be quiet and reflect to think on what you just watched but beyond that to think about the the times in your life that rather than choosing of the tree that god desires we're instead choosing of the tree of our own will and, and and the destruction that is bringing into our lives so Reflect on that, and then we'll move to communion. You and I find ourselves held in the arms of the grace of God. That is worth a ponder. Sometime this week, you just sit alone with that thought. You're held in the arms of the grace of God. Have a seat, please. So uh, our family did something fun last week. We decided to go visit the cult sites of Waco, And I'm not talking David Koresh and the the Branch Davidians. No, I'm talking about Chip and Joanna Gaines and the Fixer Upper gang. We, We had a chance to head on down and... And check that place out, see the stores, eat the biscuits and gravy. I'm telling you what, best if I lived there, I'd be 800 pounds. I mean, they were so good. We We had fun. We headed over to Abilene, got to see Nate, got to meet his girlfriend. That was a blast, meeting a girlfriend, I mean, all that. So had a fun time. But the day that we left... Um, it was really, really, really cold. The night before, it had been sub-zero. I think by the time we got to the airport, it was still under 10 degrees. Now, of course, the advantage of that is that, that led to a really clear day. We had, a, we had just a crystal clear day to fly. And so I was excited. Family let me have a window seat. So I'm sitting over there, and I'm thinking, maybe maybe I can finally do what I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to find home from the plane. I just kind of thought it would be fun to look out and, and see if I could identify anything down there, figure out where we were. So the plane takes off, and and, I, and I'm up there, and, and I'm looking down. And, and before you know it, I'm looking, I'm like, well, those smokestacks there, those look like the... Those look like the smokestacks at the end of Larkin. That, that maybe, maybe. And I'm, my I'm my mind is, I'm, my eyes are kind of following the river, and then and then I see this big racetrack, and I'm like, well, there can't be too many towns that have smokestacks and a racetrack like that. And I'm, my my eyes are following, and before you know it, I come to this, I come to this V, I come to this V, and the bottom half of the V is covered with trees, and I'm looking at this, and I'm like could that be home? That might be home. And of course, you know, Brian's already trying to fall asleep and I'm like, no, look out the window, look out the window. This is so cool. I'm still, I don't fly often enough. So it still amazed me. I mean, I, I'm just up there. I'm blown away. The fact that this big old piece of metal with my weight is actually lifted into the sky. It's mind blowing. But here, let me, let me help you see it a little bit better. That, that arrow right there, that, that's us. That's, that's that little wedge of Shanahan, right? Let me make it a little bigger so you can see. So now I've made a mistake. I'm sorry. I made the arrow in blue. So it's, it's right here, okay? There. You got it? Right right there. That's it. That's it. That's us. Just a little bit above all those trees. That's my house. And, and right over there, that circle, that's about where our church is on Route 6. I was blown away. I'm looking at this. I'm like, do you think we can ask the pilot to just stop? Let's just, let's just sit here for 10 minutes and watch and see this. It was amazing to me that I could see home. But I could not only see home, I'm seeing Interstate 55 and I'm realizing we are going to follow our way down 55. 55. And so we're, we're flying along and I can see Cole City and I can see Gardner and I can see Dwight and I'm like, there's Bloomington. I'm like, look, Shell, there's your apartment. That's where you used to live, right down there. That's it. And then we see Springfield. I'm like, I'm just watching all along the way. Crystal clear, you could make it out so beautifully. And then, and then the plane veered so we didn't keep going all the way down 55. Before you know it, I can see the Illinois River and it's spilling into the Mississippi River. So we, we crossed north of St. Louis, And we get on in and, and I can, I can trace this river throughout Missouri. It's the Missouri River, clear as day. And God did this cool thing. This is part of what's fun about flying. You get to see God's view of things. So for some reason, God decided to have some fun with the snow. Here is the Missouri River snaking along to the north, snow. I'm not kidding. Touching the river to the north, snow. Touching the river to the south, not a flake. I mean, it's like God said to the snow angels, here's what I want to do today. We're going to do, we're gonna just do all to the north and follow this line religiously. Don't cross it. It was amazing. We're flying along. I come to another river. I recognize it as the river that divides Texas and Oklahoma. And then we've, we we fly, fly about 10, 15 more minutes. And, and I look down and there's this football stadium. It's, it's not the Cowboys football stadium. No, it's the, it's the high school stadium in Allen, Texas that cost them like $65. $5 million dollars. It is beautiful from the sky. And then we went ahead on and landed, and, and I was like, can we go again? You know, like, like the roller coaster. You just want to take another ride? I was blown away that everything we could see. Kim got the window on the way back, 100% cloudy the whole way. I mean, right down to, we're getting close to midway, and it's like, you can't see the airport. You can't see the airport. You can't see, oh, there it is. Er, I mean, you know, it was it was crazy. So, anyway beautiful view. Sometimes we need that bigger picture view, right? I'm looking out at this vastness and it's still amazing how much of the United States does not have a building on it. Even right in our own area, how many large squares are empty? Yet when you're driving down 55 or 6 or wherever you are, they're like, there are too many cars and too many people. It's just too crowded. How different a perspective we have when we get up to 10,000 feet and see life in a different way. I think a 10,000 foot perspective is needed for the season that we are about to enter. On Wednesday, we'll celebrate Ash Wednesday, the day that ashes from the Palm Palm Sunday before are burned and those ashes are placed on many people's heads to signify the beginning of a new season, the season of Lent. I didn't grow up with Lent and Advent and all that. I I grew up in a, a different denomination that didn't partake in those. And some of you did. And as you went through Lent, here's what you knew. I'm supposed to give something up. And so you give up something that you wouldn't eat anyway or do anyway. And and you gave up your thing. But you really, you were like, why are we doing this? What is this all about? And so I want to talk a little bit about the why of it. And I want to do it from a a 10,000 foot perspective. Because what it helps us to start to see is that the rhythms that are built into this are really important for the formation of our soul. We're formed by our habits. Don't believe me? The next time your phone pings, see what you do. Right? You, the, the, the Apple dude has you figured out. All he had to do was do a ping. And, and you, would, you would turn your head and run. You developed a habit. You got used to looking for, where's the ping happening? We need habits that form our souls. So we have these brilliant church leaders from years ago who designed something that they call a church calendar. Little different than than the calendar that we follow with dates and all. The church calendar is not so much about the dates as it is about seasons and, and the seasons that mark different aspects of the life of Jesus. So the church calendar technically begins. See the blue at the top? That's Advent. Advent is the beginning of the year. We start the year with the season of anticipation in anticipation and longing for the coming of Jesus at Christmas. So you have that side going, that side of, of anticipation and longing, and, and that gives way to Christmas and then something called Tide. You see it in gold there. The gold just says, hey, Christmas isn't just a day, it's a season. The 12 days of Christmas, that's Christmas after where we continue to celebrate. Then you have that green area, that's called ordinary time. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then you come to purple. That's what we're about to enter. Lent. Lent is very different than Advent. Advent is anticipation. Lent is a lot more reflective, pensive. There's a mournful side to it. There's a heaviness to it. There's a sadness to it as we realize Jesus is going to die. And if we take the disciples' perspective, we don't know that he's going to rise again. And we know why he's going to die. Because of our sin. Not his sin. Because of our sin. And so it's a season of, of reflection, a season of, of withholding some things from ourselves. And, the, and then you have that little red area there. That's, that's that final week of Jesus, referred to as Holy Week, where we walk with him to the cross, to the grave, and ultimately on Easter he rises again. And then we have this gold area called Tide, And Eastertide is basically everything that leads from Easter on through to the day of Pentecost when the church is founded. And then there's a bunch of green again. Ordinary time. I love ordinary time. It's my favorite time of the church calendar. Why? Most of life is lived in the ordinary. That's where most of life happens. Most of life happens with nothing special. Every day isn't your birthday. Sorry, it's not. One a year. One Christmas a year. One Easter a year. One celebration. Everything isn't always lived at the height of celebration. Sometimes it's just lived in the ordinary. And I know, you know, we tease kids these days, but it was no different than when I was a kid. Mom, I'm bored. I'm bored. I'll go outside and play. I don't want to. Well, whatever. You know, it's lived in the ordinary. We wake up, we take a shower, we eat breakfast, we go to work, we have lunch, we do more work, we come home, we, we rest for a little bit, we eat dinner, we hang out with family a little bit, we go to bed, we do it all over again. God wants to form something in us. You know, here's the thing. We are not all naturally bent the same way. For some of you, you're just a party waiting to happen all the time. I mean, it, you, can, you can turn a funeral into a joyous celebration. You're just, you're always happy. You're always on. People look at you and they, they love when you show up because you're like the spark plug. Boom! And it's, and it's going to be fun. Others of us, we kind of live more in that serious, somber side of life. And, and Lent comes very natural to us, but, but a party, ooh. What, what this thing does is it forces us into different rhythms of the soul. It makes sure that on an annual basis, I'm taking some time for anticipation. I'm taking some time for reflection and repentance. I'm learning to live in the ordinary. Rather than always having to be bigger and better and more extraordinary, I'm learning to live in the ordinary. And God uses all of these to form something beautiful. He uses these habits to form something beautiful in our souls. And we don't even realize it's happened until we've done it 3, four, five, 10, 20, 50, 70 times. So one of our habits during this season of Lent is to take on a study that really is about formation of the soul. It's about living at that that soulish level. You, You might look at it and you might say that some of these sermons are maybe a little bit more devotional in nature. And by devotional, I don't mean that there's a lack of depth, but they kind of take us more directly to, so how do we live this? What does this look like in our own lives? During this season, we're going to look at lies. We're going to look at the lies that Satan tells us. The lies we live in all the time. The lies that are keeping us from living the fruitful, rewarding life that God desires. The lies that, just like Adam and Eve, cause some separation from God. They cause us to push back. We keep keep grabbing from the fruit of the tree of knowledge rather than enjoying the tree of life. But before we look at specific lies, I want to look at how lies work. And we'll look at the father of all lies and the way he goes about deceiving us. Even those of us that are Christ followers, how are we deceived by Satan? To do this, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. The verse says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Okay, so here's one of the things I look forward to in heaven. The DVD collection, right? I look forward to walking up and, and pulling the DVD off the, off the shelf that says The Fall. I want to see this because there are some things written in this text that are not explained further anywhere else in Scripture, but I want to finally understand it. We meet this serpent, and it says he's a creation. He's made by God. And we as we read, we start to realize there's something going on with this serpent. If, if, if this had been a movie, the first two chapters, I mean... It's just nothing but bright and light. Things are being created. God's speaking. Things are happening. The musical background, the soundtrack would be, it would have stirring, rising music and and happy moments and all. And you come to chapter 3 and there would be a little bit of silence and then some kind of ominous music would start. And we'd say, "Uh uh-oh. Something shifting in the story. Not sure yet if it's good or bad, but something's shifting in the story. It says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field. What's the serpent? Is it a real snake? Some people believe it's a snake that Satan inhabited. Some people believe it is a snake that God specifically designed, and it's the only one. We don't know all the details. We only know what the text tells us. What does the text tell us? He's crafty crafty doesn't even totally say yet he's evil right crafty leaves you wondering it's in the same category as cunning and shrewd crafty hmm i wonder i wonder what this snake is up to well you got to go to the next verse he said to the woman comma it should say period and we got to just stop there he talks a talking snake are you kidding me uh, this, this snake is actually speaking? What, what in the world is up with that? And what is he speaking? Hebrew? English? Parseltongue? What's he speaking? What's going on here? And you know what's kind of mind-blowing? Eve doesn't go, woo jump on the table, Adam, come kill it, get rid of it, do this. It's like she expects the snake to talk. She's not shocked by it. Uh, some propose that prior to the fall, all animals talk, kind of a massive Dr. Doolittle. I just can't imagine, you know, geese flying over. We're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, <laughs> poop. We're here, we're here, we're here, we're here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it would be a crazy world. We don't know what was going on. What we know is that this was a talking snake and it didn't shock Eve. She's not surprised by it. She even listens to She listens, and and the snake, now what we know, I'm going to just run you a little bit ahead, the snake wants to deceive the woman. We know this from here and other passages of the Bible. So how does he start with the deception? You stupid idiot. You believe in God? No, he doesn't start with a statement, and he doesn't start with an insult. He starts with a question. How beautiful. You know what he's saying? I need your help. You seem like an authority on this. You seem like you know some things I don't. Would you be willing to share with me? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Those are the words of God? Is Is that what he spoke to you? Now, let's find out what God did say. We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Let me just say, chapter 2 is pre fall. Chapter 3, the fall happens. In chapter 2, God gives Adam work to do. What is that saying? Work is not the result of the fall. Work is the result of being created in the image of God. God works and we work. What, what is the result of the fall is toil and sweat and labor and hating Mondays. If pre-fall, you didn't hate Mondays. You woke up and you went, I get to go to work today. Instead of, oh, brother, why couldn't we have another long weekend? He worked it. And it says, the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden." Think about that. You, limits are off. Go crazy. If you want pomegranate, eat it. If you want a pear, eat it. If you want an apple, there are the galas, there there are the Braeburns, there there. go nuts. Eat whatever you want. The variety that God said, you can have all of this but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it you shall surely die. And what do we humans do? You can have all of this, not that. Hmm, that looks interesting. I wonder what that tastes like. I'd sure like to have me some of that. All this, I'm bored with I want that. The day you eat of it you shall surely die. And I want you to think about this for a moment. I wonder if Adam and Eve had any concept whatsoever of what die is. Nothing had died. They hadn't gone to a funeral. They hadn't seen death. Do they have any idea what die is? We we don't know everything of the conversations they had with God. We know what is written We don't know if there wasn't a time that the Lord God walked with them in the cool of the day and said, so this is what physical death would be like, and this is what spiritual death would be like. We don't know yet if they truly grasp what die is. Do you remember when you were really little, and your mom and dad tried to share with you basically how your family tree works? On my mom's side, the Polish side, my my great-grandfather... Great, right? Yeah, my great grandfather had four wives consecutively. Each died, and they all had four children. So when we go to family reunions at Pinewood's Park. There would be better than 120 people, and there would be Zazikis and Topolskis and Brzezinski's and every other ski you could imagine, and they're all over the place. And I'm kind of asking my mom, now, now, how are we related to them? Well, that's your second cousin twice removed. I've never gotten that one, even in this day. And, you know, that's your aunt and that's your uncle, but that's not your dad's aunt. That's my aunt. And, and I'm just like, I don't get it. And this is so confusing. My mom says, what? Just wait a few years. It'll all sort out. I wonder if it was a little bit like that, that God is saying, here's what die is, and they're like, we don't get it. But here's what they knew. It was bad. It was bad. It was bad stuff. Did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Here's here's Eve's response to the serpent. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We have a lot of freedom. But God said... Notice, she, she quotes him, right? But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither should you touch it lest you die. You read the passage. Did you see anything about touching? Did you see one word about touching? There was nothing in there about touching. Now again, I don't want to make a total argument from silence. Maybe along the way in those garden walks, God had said, you know, eating is bad, don't even put a finger on it. We don't know. We can only know what's written in Scripture. And what we know from what is written in Scripture, God had never said anything about touching. Satan's doing his work and Eve is falling for it. He's offered her. He said to her, you seem like an authority on this topic. Share with me your thoughts. And what does she do? She not only tells him what God had said, but she fills in some blanks of her own. She's starting to move herself into a state of being an authority on the topic. I know this. I get this. And in the process, something's happening. Because while Adam and Eve had been created in the image of God, they were not God. They were like God in many ways, but they were not God. And and Satan is very subtly trying to say, you should want more. You should have greater aspirations and desires. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Do you wonder how he said it to her? The tone, the inflection, how did it come across? You will not die. You won't. God's holding out on you. He knows that the day you eat that fruit, he won't be special anymore. His uniqueness will be gone because you'll be just like him. You won't just be like God. You will be God. You'll know good and evil. You'll have it all figured out. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he takes her desire to be an authority on the subject and he starts to plant some doubts about God, doubts about the character of God, doubts about the words of God, doubts about the nature of God. Isn't that the way it works for us? We don't just wonder about the topic itself but we actually start to wonder about the character of God. Yeah, he gave me all those trees, but why not that one? Why is he holding out? Why did he say you can have all of this but you can't have that? What's, is God really as good as God says he is? I mean, how do we know God's good? He's telling us he's good, we're supposed to just believe him? We're supposed to just take him at his word? For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she looks. And that it was a delight to the eyes. That is the most beautiful fruit I've ever seen. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She understood what was going on with this fruit. This wasn't just about how it was going to taste. This is about what it was going to do. She took of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. You always wonder about Adam in this story, right? I mean, I've always had kind of this imagination that she goes back home, she's going to make up a little fruit salad, chop, 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 and, you know, hey, I brought something new home tonight. Oh, well, yeah, what is it? Oh, it's a surprise, you know, chop, 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 chop. Wow, that looks really pretty. I think I've seen that before. Hey, is that on that tree over there? Ah, uh, well, I you got to taste it. It's really good. Uh, he's standing right there. The wordless man is standing right there, hearing the conversation and falling for the lie. Falling for the lie. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Now don't just see that this is simply, whoops, we forgot to dress today. It's not that kind of naked. It's the fact that in that moment, they realized that physically and spiritually, they were completely exposed. There was a level of transparency that was uncomfortable, and embarrassing. They saw themselves for who they really were in that moment and they were ashamed. They were ashamed. So it says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Don't skip over that too fast because this is what we do when we fall for the lie. We try to fix it. What they should have done is gone running through the garden, trying to find God and say, we messed up. What are we going to do? Help us. But they don't look to God for help. They say, grab some leaves. We can cover up. And they make a lame skirt. And they go, hide. They go, hide. Look at verse 25 of chapter 2. After they're created, it says, And the man and his wife were... We were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is the state God wanted us to be in. He wanted us to be in a state that we felt no shame at our complete vulnerability. I want you think about it for a moment. Have there been times in your own life that you have toyed with one forbidden fruit? There's been something that you just keep looking at longingly. You see all the other trees And you keep looking at that one and you keep keep teasing yourself with it. And Satan keeps walking you down the road. What would be the big deal? In fact, you would be amazed at the satisfaction you'll find when you just finally take a bite, when you just finally have it. And you go ahead and you do it. And moments later, you look at yourself in the mirror. And you can't stand what you see. You see you for who you are. You see you for what you've done. And you're embarrassed and you put your head down you're shamed. You know, when we sin, God wants us to feel guilt. Guilt is like the dummy light on the dashboard of the car. I've got a dummy light going off right now in the, in the van. It's saying maintenance required, maintenance required. I've learned that it, it blinks for a while and then it goes solid. So I ignore the blink until we go to solid. But, you know, there, there's a problem. It's, it's time to change the oil. It's, it's time to get this done. Guilt says You've done something wrong. It is not time to sew a loincloth. It is time to talk to God. Shame, on the other hand. Guilt is a good thing. It's a tool given to us by God to make us aware of our sin. Shame, shame is from Satan. Shame causes us to want to fix it on our own and hide from God and hide from anybody else. Shame causes us to not want to look in the mirror, to pretend it didn't happen, to just ignore it and hope it goes away. To live in hiding rather than coming out into the presence of God and saying, yes, I've done something wrong and I need your forgiveness. God wants us to live in a state that we're able to be open and vulnerable before him and unashamed. You come to the end of the chapter and it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Again, remember, he had already been like him. He's made in the image of God, but he's like him in this way now. He's become like us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. What do we see here? We see that sin led to death. Sin led to a death in Adam and Eve's relationship with God. It led to a separation. No longer could they be in that perfect place. They were driven from the presence of God. And that's what happens when we fall for the lie. We find ourselves living in a state of separation from God. But that is not the desire of God. Now, you may be looking at this and saying, great Old Testament story. Glad that whole serpent thing is done and it doesn't happen anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers. Not lost people, Corinthian believers. And he says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What does he say? Satan is still working in our thought life. And as he works in our thought life, he's still trying to pull us away. He's still trying to cause separation. He's still trying to get us to the outside of the garden, ashamed, sowing our own fig leaves and saying, I can't see God, look at God, depend on God. I got to do this on my own. And it is from there that we will look at many of the lies that Satan feeds us today that cause a separation from God, that God does not desire, that cause a level of shame in which we say, God, I, I really can't be in your presence right now. Now, one of the things I want to do with this series each week, I'm going to give you a set of questions, three questions. Uh, if you go ahead to that version app, you'll see this. These three in the Bible notes will also send it to you by way of email. So if you receive the links today, you'll receive... The questions, if you did not receive the links today, talk to them at the Welcome Center so you get these. Three questions, and I want you to mull them over over two days. So you'll introduce it Monday, think it through, answer it, but then let it stew and come back to it the next day. Here's what I find. Very often in a a thought-provoking question, I answer at a surface level at first, and then when it's had a chance to brew a little bit, it goes to a deeper place. So Think about it and then come back to it the next day and ask the same question all over again. You might ask these simply of yourself. You might do these with your spouse. You might even make it a a dinner table conversation. But work through the passage and then the questions and see where God leads you because Satan's still working the same today. The snake is still talking. And he's trying to set you up to believe that you're the authority on the topic. He's playing with your pride So that you will want to not just be like God, but be God. That you'll grab that one piece of fruit that he said no. Even though he gave you all this other stuff, you go for the one. Because you've decided you're God in your life. Father God in heaven, I pray for me and I pray for all of us. That we will come to recognize the tempter's voice. And that we won't fall for his lies that we won't be drawn in, that we won't add to your words, that we won't, that we won't self-style our own sol- solutions to our sin, that we will depend on you and trust in you, that we'll hear your no as a no and your yes as a yes, and we will live in a state of fulfillment because we are living a life that is obedient to God through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our servers are going to come and receive the offering, and as they do... Um, I'm looking at the links that came out this morning, and again, that top one, if you hit open on that top one, it'll take you to the U-Version app, and you'll see, in fact, you'll see a copy of all the announcements from the from the bulletin today, you'll see the verses that we used in the very bottom are those questions, but groups are starting, yeah. so we got spring groups starting next week, I believe?
2: Uh, yeah, I think the first spring And there are a are bunch still. of them. Yeah, if you didn't grab a handout on your way in, make sure that you do before you leave because it lists every one of our spring group offerings by day uh, so that you can look through and see kind of what's offered to who on each day from Monday through Friday. Um, so it's it's a really cool way to just see what might work for your schedule and then you can go online uh, either on our app or on the website to find out more about that, that group specifically. But yeah, we've got at least 13 groups yeah. uh, that are going to be running so here in the spring. Good, so good cool. amount
0: of options. Yeah. So so I'm looking at the links today, the third one down. For all the years we've done day camp, old building, this building, for all the years we've done it, we've never done
2: this. Yeah.
0: What's going on here?
2: So we are looking for more adult actors for our uh, Quest acting team, which is really exciting. Like yeah. Getting yeah. more people involved in this. Um, we're But we're looking for adults to be in these roles. So if you're 18 or older... We're looking uh, on March 22nd to hold open auditions for a wide variety of roles. There's all kinds of different things. Not each role will run each day of day camp. Uh, but it is a So good it
0: could be that there's a one-day role and you only have to take half a day off or whatever in order to be a part of that. Yeah,
2: yeah, on that oh, day. Right, there's still right. a time, time commitment in terms of practice and all things like that. Uh, but if that's something that you either have done in your past or you've never done and you've always been looking for the opportunity... Uh, On March 22nd, we're going to be holding those auditions. pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. How's
0: your group going? Uh, Feed the... Feed... Not feed the bear. Feed the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Don't feed the
2: bear. No, it's going really well. Yeah, yeah, we're talking spiritual disciplines, so it's it's things that don't necessarily come natural to us. Uh, This past week, we looked at worship and talked about how worship isn't just singing on Sundays, uh, that we can worship God in everything that we do, so yeah.
0: It's really exactly cool. what we're talking about today. I mean, spiritual disciplines are habits mm-hmm. that form our souls, and we think we know what we're going to get out of it, but as we do it over time, we find God forms something that we never expected would happen, so it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah. That is cool. And groups at all, Normal.
2: Normal times, everything's all good to go. The one last announcement that I have is on March 14th from 6 to 8, it's a Saturday, we're having a glow-in-the-dark night in the gym, and it's going to be Woo-hoo! awesome. It's for everybody. Um, there's no cost to attend, but we just need to know how many people are coming. So if you would, uh, if that's something that you want to bring your family to or anything like that, uh, just go ahead on the website, sign up, let us know how many people are coming so we can be prepared for that. I think
0: that you'd go to events, yeah, as you go events, along, yeah. events, and, and it'll be yep. in there. Cool. Uh, let me talk about two groups we're offering this spring, and actually we're going to be offering them from here forward in some form, but, but we need to kind of get this started. As, as a group of overseers, we've been talking about how to, how to help people figure out where the, where the door handle is here and to, and to really enter into life in Christ and life at, at Southfield at a deeper level. Went to a doctor the other day, and I, the, the office was office 201. I go up the up the elevator. Never been there before. I see the sign for 201. I come around the door, and the door has uh, you know many forbidding signs on it. Don't come in. Don't open this door. Don't. It's the wrong door. Don't go to this door. And I'm like, I got to go in there. And i I come early, so I still had 10 minutes. But I'm like, what do I do? Do I start banging on this door? I don't see anybody. What do I do? And I stopped and thought, well, maybe maybe just maybe there's another 201. I can't imagine, but maybe there is. Came around the corner. Sure enough, there's another sign for 201. On the other side. I went there, went straight in. I think for a lot of people, when it comes to coming into a church, they kind of have the same feeling. It's not that they can't figure out where the physical front door is, but they try to figure out where's the front door of getting involved. When you finally want to move beyond anonymity and coming and attending, when you're saying, no, I'm ready to plug in, how do I plug in? And so we want to offer three opportunities that will lead to a deeper plugging in. And it's something that, for those of you that have been inquiring about membership, this is something that we're going to ask you to be uh, partaking in so that you get a better idea of, of how to get plugged in. Uh, the first group is called, basically, Step In. Step In. It'll start on March 8th. This is the one that, that gives you a, a great introduction, not only to the church, but to the spiritual life. What is this life all about? It's, it's possible that you look at other people and you're like, they, they have something going on that I don't. What's going on there? And so it's just really introductory to what, what happens at our church as well as what it means to engage in a spiritual life with God. That one will start on March 8th. I think it's uh, seven sessions in all. The, the second one is called Step Up. And step up is where you say, okay, I am ready now to move into a, a deeper level of imbol- involvement. So we're, we're going to talk about how to get involved in serving, how to, how to ramp up generosity in your life, and even how do I go about taking this message that God has given me, the life change he's given me, and share that with other people. So that step up, that starts on March 10th, and both of those, again, go through the beginning of May. There are a couple of days off in there, but anyway. The final one isn't a group, it, it, it's, it's, it's a moment. It's literally a moment. He actually came to us from uh, Jason and, and Dana Aubrey as they spent the year away at another church while they had moved. And so we're stealing an idea that I think is a great idea. This one's called Step Out. Step out you can do in the next four minutes. This is when you decide, I'm finally ready to step out of my chair, step out of my comfort, step out of my anonymity, And come up front and say, hi. Admit that you have a name. Put a name to a... We think names are really important. Really important. It's important to know who you are. And so we're going to be encouraging every Sunday. you got people down here that are willing to stand and pray with you. And I, for the first few minutes after the service, will be standing on this side. I'd love for you to just come up and say hello. I'd love to attach a name with a face. I might even ask to take a picture so that I can memorize it so the next time I see you, I'm not tempted to go, yeah, bud, or something like that. But to to actually get to know you. Now, help me in this, okay? Just be real, real cool about this. First day I came to this church in 1995, it was, it was really old at that time, and, and everybody looked alike. And so, um, it's because I was like 32, right? So this lady comes walking up to me on Sunday evening and goes, do you know my name? You know, I'm guessing all the best, Bertha, Gertrude, Gladys, you know, <laughs> trying, to, trying to figure out who this might be, and I, and I blew it. And I, It took about six months for that relationship to be repaired, because I didn't know her name. Make it easy. I mean, even if you think, yeah, I know you. Just walk up. Hi, I'm, give your name. This is her name. This is this kid's name. Give the name. It just makes it. this is what we used to do before Facebook, okay? Before creeping and trying to look people up, we actually used to introduce ourselves to each other. So, so take the moment to step out, come on up, introduce yourself, and that's kind of your first step toward the door that you're ready to say, yeah, you know what? I'm toying with this place. I think this might be home. And honestly, for some of you, you've been here seven years, and you're still at that state of saying, okay, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to step out, step in, and step up to being part of this family. Father God in heaven, as we leave this place today, I pray your protection on us. Help us to recognize the voice of the tempter and to say no. To not even take time to reason with him, to not try to give him a brilliant answer of our own, but to just say, no, get out of my head. Help us to live in obedience and freedom and purity, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go enjoy the warm in the sun. See ya.